Well, good morning to all of you. Welcome and good morning to those of you joining us from Calvary, Quakertown. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. I know it's Father's Day because three times already today, people have come up and said, hey, Charles, it's Father's Day, so we get a really short sermon today, right? I'm not sure what that says about dads, but that probably will not happen today. Just get rid rid of that expectation right now. Well, we're in a series that we're calling Connect since it's Connection Summer 2021. And so far in the series, we looked at John 15, that famous vine in the branches passage in which we said, life and growth all come as we connect to Jesus. And then last week we looked at, we extend life and we extend growth to others as we encourage them and seek to build them up in the gospel. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage where God connects with two different people. And before we read the passage in Genesis 18, I want to remind you, tell you, God initiates both of these connections. God invites Sarah and then Abraham to connect with him. God's not passively waiting for us to come to him. God initiates that contact. God initiates connection. I was reminded of that this past week and because I was thinking about my dentist. I usually do not initiate with my dentist. My dentist initiates with me. It starts out with a kind of a text message, then an email. I get phone calls from my dentist. Charles, you've been here for a couple of years now, so you need to get in here. And then he gives me a couple appointment times when I can come. Uh, You know, I actually really appreciate that because if he didn't initiate, I would never initiate and I'd never go to the dentist. I have a dentist appointment this week, back tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. I will be in the dentist chair. Hopefully, uh, my mouth won't be too sore by tomorrow afternoon. God initiates. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 18. And we're going to look at the two um, connection incidents separately. The first incident, God connects with Sarah. God invites Sarah to connect. So let me read the verses. You can follow along. Verses 1 and 2, then I'll jump down a little bit. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now, if you would jump down to uh, verse 9, the men say, where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Now, probably when I read that, you're thinking, wait a minute, how is that an invitation to Sarah? The first verse says, God appeared to Abraham. Yeah, but did you notice as I read, the conversation does not proceed. The conversation doesn't go on until Sarah is identified as the recipient of the invitation. So we read, where is your wife, Sarah? 
oh, she's in the tent. Then the conversation begins. And from that point on, in the passage I read, Abraham is just kind of the conduit between God and Sarah in the conversation. This is an appearance, an invitation of God to Sarah to connect with him. Now, this connection, actually, uh, this message has a long history to it. In fact, the first time that Abraham and Sarah were told that Abraham was going to have a son, and that son was the promised son through whom the world was going to be blessed, that promise came 25 years earlier. God made a promise. Sarah and Abraham, you guys are going to have a kid. And through that son, the whole world will be blessed. 25 years go by, no kid. You ever clinging to a promise and you're about ready to give up? You ever feel like God promised you something? You read something in the Bible and time just seems to go on and on and it doesn't transpire? Oh yeah, but this message from the past is even better. When God first gives the promise, the first time, not here, the first time, Abraham is 75 years old when he gets the promise he's going to have a kid. Okay, fathers, if you're near 75, would you like to have a son? Sarah was 65. Ladies, uh, would you like to uh, have a child when you're 65? 25 years go by. Abraham now is almost 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. God shows up and says, Sarah, you're going to have a son. That's the message from the past. That's the promise for the future. What does Sarah do? She doubts, just like all of us would do, right? Hi, ladies, 90 years old, you're going to have a kid? What would you? You'd laugh, just like Sarah laughed. And I kind of scratch my head and say, why is Sarah kind of put down for laughing? I'd be laughing too. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, you're going to have a son. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the laughter of unbelief. It's the laughter of doubt. It's the laughter of cynicism. It's the laughter of, you've got to be kidding me. You ever feel like that? Do you ever read something in the Bible? Listen to a Christian friend? Sing the words to a Christian song, to an old hymn? Maybe even one of the songs that we sang today. Do you ever sing, think, read, talk to someone, and you hear the promise, but under your breath you laugh? You really don't believe it. You doubt it. You're cynical. You don't believe it can happen. That's what's going on here. And to be real honest, Sarah, based on common sense, doubts the promise. You know what I find really interesting in this visitation? It's radically different than the last time God appeared to Abraham. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you can check it out later, right? Sixers don't play till later tonight. Um, in Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham. And that is an appearance to Abraham. That's not Sarah's appearance. This is Sarah's invitation in 18. Abraham's invitation comes in 12 and 15. Now, in Genesis 15, how does God show up? God shows up with lightning and thunder, a smoking fire pot, animals ripped in half, strewn all over the ground. God shows up in power and might. Abraham, terrified, cowering. 
And he sees a picture of God walking through the pieces of the animals as that covenant is established. How does God show up to Sarah? He's tired. His feet hurt. He's worn out. He needs something to drink, needs a good meal. He needs refreshment. You can't put God in a box. Sometimes we need God to show up in power and might. Sometimes we need God to show up in a small voice, tired, in need of grace. God shows up in power. God shows up in weakness. God shows up however we need him to show up to continue his mission and invite us into the story. Now, here's one of the problems. And you've probably heard me say this before in one way or another. Here's our biggest problem, or one of our biggest problems when we read that first invitation to Sarah. Here's the problem. We want to make Sarah the hero. Let me remind you. Sarah is not the hero in this story. Now, have you ever heard this story or other biblical stories kind of presented like this? Right, now, let me tell you, right, if, if you're just waking up, listen, this is not how it goes. But let me, let me show you how sometimes you hear it. Sarah is facing an impossible situation. Sarah is childless. There's no safety net that society has built. She and her husband have no kid. God shows up and gives this radical, amazing promise. You're going to have a child. But she's 90 years old. Abraham's 100. She faces that impossible situation with the promise of God. And in spite of common sense, in spite of the realities, she trusts God. And in faith, she clings to the promise. And in faith, God delivers. That's not what it says. She has no faith. God shows up, makes a promise. She laughs in his face. Just think about that for a minute. This is the only recorded appearance we have in all of the Bible that God appears to Sarah. If he appeared another time, we don't know. But this is the only one that we have recorded. Now, just think about that. God shows up to Sarah one time in her whole life, in her 100-year life, 90-year life, one day, one afternoon. He gives Sarah one promise and she laughs at his face, doubts what he says, and basically says, you're a liar, you can't do it. One appearance, and Sarah has the greatest failure of her life. Pretty bad day, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, turn over a couple chapters, will you? Because the story uh, isn't continued into chapter 21. Let me just read a couple verses. Verse 21, verse 1, or chapter 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone, who and everyone who hears will laugh about this with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in his old age? 
Just a, a little fact you may need to know. The name Isaac means laughter. Sarah laughs. God delivers the promise. And God says, now name the kid laughter. So every time you call him for dinner, every time you mention his name, you'll be, rem you'll be reminded of your unbelief. And you'll be reminded of God's grace in granting the promise. That's pretty amazing. Sarah's not the hero. What, here's the question now. What turned Sarah's laughter from unbelief to belief? What transformed her laughter from cynicism to joy? Not her faith. She didn't have any. What transformed her laughter? I'll tell you. After she started to put on weight, and she wasn't quite sure why, one day she felt a little movement in her womb that she had never felt before. And soon she realized that the son of promise was born in her. And as that kid would kick, Sarah's faith was changed from doubt to joy. The son of promise makes the difference, not her faith. Don't make Sarah the hero. God's grace is the hero in this story. Well, that's the first invitation. Second invitation follows. There's an invitation in this chapter to Abraham. So if you turn back to chapter 18, let me uh, read a, a few more verses. I'll skip, but I'll tell you when I'm skipping. Look at verses six. To, so to Sarah, invitation to Sarah is kind of done. That's a, that's a whole invitation about belief. We'll come back to that at the end. Look, look at verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked uh, down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, hmm, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, jump down to verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham uh, approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous and the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in this city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the, for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous and the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the, Lord, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy it? Not for 45, not for 40, not for 35. It goes all the way down, and Abraham stops the conversation at 10. And God says, for the sake of 10 people in Sodom, I will not destroy it. Then you may say, where's the invitation? Well, look at it. It's right there in verse 17. God says, hmm, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? You know, if you ever say to someone, huh, not sure I should tell you this, you're going to tell them, right? 
I mean, you don't start the conversation with, I probably shouldn't tell you this. You're going to tell them then. And when God says, hmm, should I hide? He's going to tell them if he's verbalizing that he's wrestling with being able to tell them. And then in the next section, it says that God says, boy, the outcry of Sodom has come all the way to heaven. And my ears are being uh, distressed by this outcry. I've come down to see if what I've heard is accurate And if so, wait a minute, God's omniscient. What do you mean he has to come down and see? Can he just kind of fly over, hover over? Doesn't he automatically know what's going on? And then he says, if it is as bad, it's almost as like he hasn't made up his mind yet. What's he doing? He's inviting Abraham into the process. He's inviting Abraham to intercede for the people of Sodom. There's an invitation going on. Should I let Abraham, I'm not gonna hide it from Abraham. If it is as I say, he's inviting Abraham to dialogue with him. He's inviting Abraham to pray. And Abraham accepts the invitation. And think about how radical that conversation is. You know, we kind of say, oh, Abraham, he's bartering with God, kind of bargaining with God. Yeah, but here's what Abraham knows. Or here's what he's questioning. Hmm. Can the unrighteous be spared because of the righteous? Isn't that right? Notice, Abraham does not just pray for Lot. That's probably how we would pray. Lord, please deliver Lot. No, no. Abraham says, will you spare the whole city? Of those filthy, creepy people, will you spare them if there are 50 righteous people? Abraham's praying for the scummy sinners. And he's saying, will you spare the unrighteous because of the few righteous? And then he goes 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, all the way down to 10. And there's a part of me that says, you stopped too early. Why would he stop at 10? You know, some commentators say, well, maybe he thought, you know, Lot could have influenced his family. Lot could have influenced a few neighbors. So if they each influenced a couple, boy, pretty soon you get to 10. Wait a minute. Lot only has relative righteousness, right? He's not really righteous. Something else is going on. In my mind, I keep thinking, Abraham, why'd you stop at 10? Or will you spare the city for five? And then the real question that the New Testament answers, Lord, Will you spare the guilty because of one? Abraham's prayer stops a little early. But the point, can the unrighteous be saved because of the righteous? Abraham gets it. That's how he intercedes. So God invites Sarah to believe and trust, but she doesn't. God invites Abraham to intercede and to pray. He does, but he stops too early. So here we are again. Don't make Sarah your hero and don't make Abraham your hero. He hasn't figured it all out. He stops his prayer too early. Why? Because Sarah and Abraham are not the destination. Sarah and Abraham are signposts to the destination. They move the story a little further, but they're not the climax of the story. Let me show you what I mean. These two invitations actually uh, provide invitations to us. 
So here we sit, Father's Day 2021. Genesis 18. There are two invitations to us in this story. First invitation is the invitation to believe. There's almost an exact quotation. Genesis 18. In Luke chapter 1, the destination. With Genesis 18 bouncing around in your head, look at these verses. There's another woman, not Sarah. There's another woman who's not pregnant. There's another promise that's made. There's another doubter who kind of laughs under her breath. There's another son that's promised. And that son is the ultimate son of promise. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus. <laughs> How will this be? Mary said, I'm a virgin. A literal translation. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. Right from Genesis 18. What do we have to believe? Not believe like Sarah. Believe the God of grace. Isaac's not the ultimate son of promise. Isaac, the son of promise, points to the ultimate son of promise. Sarah points to another woman. Another promise is given. If it's really hard for an old woman to have a kid, it's impossible for a virgin to have a kid, certainly back in that day. But there will be a son, the son of promise. What, friends, will turn our laughter of unbelief and cynicism and doubt to joy and celebration and belief when the son of promise is born in you? That's what makes the difference. Don't believe like Sarah. Trust the God of grace. Don't believe that Isaac is the son of promise. Believe the one that Isaac points to and recognize that Abraham understood. Can the unrighteous be saved, rescued, and forgiven because of the righteous? Yes, not 10, not 50, not 45, one. And he's not partially righteous. He's not relatively righteous. He's perfectly righteous. His name's Jesus. And when we put our little tiny bit of flawed faith in him, that son of promise is born in us and that cynicism and unbelief become joy and belief. It's a call to believe, an invitation to believe. And Jesus is the ultimate destination of that. Has your unbelief turned to belief? Has your cynicism found, come to fruition in faith because of Jesus? That's where the whole Bible's pointing. That's where it's moving. Acknowledge you deserve to be taken out. You're unrighteous. And acknowledge because of the one you can be declared righteous and accepted by God forever. That's the transition. That's the ultimate son. Oh, but it could, it's better than that, too. It's an invitation to intercede, right? It isn't just an, an invitation, but it's an invitation to intercede. And so when um, God invites Abraham to pray, right, God kind of ushers him into the conversation. 
there's a rhetorical question. It kind of goes back and forth. And even though we would look at that and say, Abraham, what guts you have. You're kind of like arguing, debating with God. I'm guessing God loves that, right? I mean, God's probably smiling ear to ear as they're walking. Yes, I want a conversation with you, Abraham. I want you to come and badger me. I want you to complain to me. This is how life is in conversation. He stopped too early. He didn't get the whole picture, but he gets a lot of it. Oh, yeah. Do we follow Abraham and pray like him? No. There is another verse in the other part of the book. Here's how that one reads. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Yeah, you bet. He's the righteous one. Not the 10, 15, 20, 45. He's the one. And what does he do? He always lives to intercede for them. I don't know about you, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I need that intercession, like not even every day, I need that like every hour, every 15. Somebody think, well, you certainly need him during this sermon. That's right. Eh. He always lives to intercede for us. And his intercession is perfect. He not only understands the full script, unlike Abraham, he wrote the script, he is the script. How does he intercede? Not by saying, Lord, Father, will you save them? Will you protect them because of the righteousness of one? What does he say? Father, justice demands that you forgive and save them because of my righteousness and because of the debt that I paid for their forgiveness. I'm not asking for mercy. I'm demanding justice. That, friends, is an ironclad case. Genesis 18, not the ultimate destination. A couple signposts, invitation to the ultimate destination. And along the way, God invites us to believe in the ultimate son of promise, Find your righteousness and forgiveness in him and him alone. And amazingly, God invites us to intercede on the basis of what Jesus has done. Pray and intercede for others, just like Abraham's doing for people in Sodom. We can do the same thing. And that's why next week, we're going to look at another one another. Pray for one another. Let's continue what Jesus started. Let's stand and pray. Father, we stand there pretty amazed this morning because no human beings could have sat down and written this book. No human beings could have figured out all the signposts and how to line them up that find their destination in Luke 1 and Hebrews 7. The author of this book is the one who lived the story. Father, help us to not just live it. Help us to continue what Jesus started. Encourage our belief today. Encourage us to intercede and Lord, allow us to do those things, continuing what Jesus started, because we are connected to him by faith, his life, his growth, pulsating through us as we connect and impact others. We pray in his name. Amen.